Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham. I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast, and we have a unique series of podcasts coming out here, something that we've never done before, but we're going to release the keynote messages from our advanced conference. Converge Northeast runs an annual conference to encourage and to equip our churches and the church leaders and the teams really for anybody involved at all levels of ministry. And we've been building the advanced conference over the last number of years to really be sort of a premier event gathering for Northeast church leaders. And I'm so encouraged by the response to this event and what God has been doing through it. We'll be gathering again this next fall. But in October of 2023, we gathered in Hudson, Massachusetts, and we spent two days together. And we kicked off our first session with someone who, if you've been tracking along with the podcast, you've heard an interview with him, but now you're going to get to hear him speak. Pastor Justin Kendrick, lead and founding pastor of Vox Church. They have locations in Connecticut and Massachusetts. Uh, Justin's heart for our region, for the local church. It just rings so true through this. I know a lot of people were asking us after that session if they could get a recording. It is now available. You are going to love this and be encouraged by this uh, message that kicked off the advanced conference. We are so appreciative of Pastor Justin uh, coming to share with us. And I know you will be encouraged in your ministry as you wrap up a year and start a new year of ministry. Uh, looking forward. So without any further ado, let me turn it over. Here's Pastor Justin Kendrick from the Advanced Conference 2023. Good evening, everybody. I am honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so grateful for the opportunity and, uh, and just blessed, thankful. So uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Andy, all the Converge guys. Just honor Pastor Jenkins. I saw Pastor Jenkins honor you. So grateful for you. Thank you for serving this church community and uh, this gathering of the saints. Honored to, uh, to have you here and thankful for your lifetime of ministry and the way God has used you to impact so many others. Uh, that have uh, come after you. Also, so grateful for my amazing wife, Christina Rose, who's over here. Babe, would you stand up? 19 years, she still likes me. So I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and yeah, just so thankful for this theme too about the kingdom of God. And uh, I want to read Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Just 15 verses here today that you've heard before, but I think are a good frame as we think about on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, look at it with me. It says, so there, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Well, that's pretty easy, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name 
It's above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and work his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I want to speak just for a few minutes under the heading, this is our time. This is our time. Would you pray with me today? Lord, thank you for this gathering. We are just desperate for you, Jesus. And so we humble ourselves and we acknowledge our need for you. I pray that God, over the next few minutes, as we meditate on Philippians chapter 2 and all the implications and and all the uh, ways that we can grow and learn from your truth, I pray that you would enlighten us and enable us to see. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come upon us with a fresh fire, a fresh passion to know you, serve you, love you, and follow you all the days of our life. Lord, I pray right now for anybody here this evening that I might just feel burned out or might just feel tired. I pray that you revive their passion for ministry in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that every one of us, you'd meet us in a personal and unique way and do a work among us. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you do something for me? We need to do a little little, uh, participation time, all right? Can you do that before we get going? Will you just find five, uh, just, no, I'm not going to make you do five. I'm going to make you do three. Three people around you, give them a high five and tell them this is our time. Come on, just do it. You can do three people. You can do it. You can do it. This is our time. Come on, everybody participate. The ushers will walk you out. If you don't participate, this is our time. This is our time. This is, did you find three? Did everybody find three? Yeah? Yeah, this is our time. Did you find three? Amen. Awesome. Did you know that 42% of Americans don't wash their hands after using the bathroom? Which means that statistically, if you just high five three people, you just got blessed, right? Friends, it's a dangerous world. <laughs> that we're living in. It's a dangerous world, right? So just think about, I mean, today, it's every single day, nonstop, the reality that we're living in a dangerous world, far beyond hand washing, far beyond germs, right? The dangerous world that we see on the front page of every newspaper and every newsreel and every app that loads on our phone, what's happening in Israel. But it's not just Israel, right? It's Donald Trump. It's Joe Biden. It's political polarization. It's an upcoming election year. It's racial injustice. It's Black Lives Matter. It's Blue Lives Matter. It's transgender debates. It's war in the Ukraine. It's climate change. It's post-COVID-19 craziness. It's Vladimir Putin. It's Generation Z, which none of us know what to do with. It's Church Online, which none of us know what to do with. It's confusion around discipleship. It's the mainstream media. It's Fox News. It's 40 million people who have stopped going to church in America. It's fewer people that read the Bible in history. It's 38% of pastors who considered quitting this year. It's New England, which is the least church region in the United States. And it's a great time to be in ministry, isn't it? Yeah. In the midst of all of that, this is our time. This is our time. What do you think God brought you here for? What do you think he dropped you in this northeast corner for? Except that it might be your time. Do you think he sent you out here to die? Do you think he sent you out here that you might not see the fullness of what he's called you to? 
This is our time. I love what English poet John Keats said. He said, there is nothing stable in the world. Uproar is your only music. You know, sometimes God can speak through uproar. Sometimes he can minister through uproar. And he has raised you and me up for such a time as this. This is our time. You know, we speak of God's sovereignty, and that's, that's all about the fact that God can, right? That he's powerful, and we're grateful for the truth, the doctrinal truth of God's sovereignty. But it's, it's important for us to also remember the truth of his providence, right? Not just that he can, but that he has a purpose and a plan. That your life is not a cosmic accident, but that God put you at this time, in this season, amongst these people for such a time as this, right? You know the story of Esther. You know that God supernaturally orchestrated events so that a Jewish princess would be sitting in that room when it was necessary for the nation to be saved. He raised her up for such a time as this. And let me just prophesy over you, whether it's your first year in ministry or you're just getting warmed up or you're not even sure what God's called you to do or you're part of that 38% that thought about quitting this past year, God brought you here for such a time as this. This is your time. He's called you. You can clap while I preach. That's fine. I'm, I'm good with that, all right? And so, you know, we know, if you've been around New England, we know the history of this region. It's a flawed, failed. We all got issues. We understand that. But, but there is something sacred, something special. 102 pilgrims came over on a boat a number of years ago, and they came with uh, five reasons. They needed funding for their trip, and they, they, they convinced a particular organization to fund uh, their trip, and they gave five reasons. Every one of them was about God. But the fifth reason that the pilgrims gave to come to New England um, was this. They said, it is not with us as with other men whom small things can discourage or small discontentments cause to wish themselves at home again. They were committed to endurance. Flawed and perfect people. 47 of the 102 pilgrims died in the first couple months. And yet when they were given opportunity to leave, the 55 remaining, none of them chose to leave this land because they sensed the call of God. They said, this is our time. This is our time. Well, there's been a lot of history, a lot of broken issues, a lot of challenges, struggles, failures, and flaws since then. And here we are on that same land for a God who remembers his promise to a thousand generations, a region that has experienced spiritual renewal and awakening for generations. You know, my home city of New Haven, uh, the, the, the first free African-Americans in America were in New Haven, Connecticut with the Amistad. I mean, we have a history that is so rich, both culturally, socially, religiously, place of awakening, a place of birthing new things, a place of renewal. And God doesn't forget any of that. He doesn't forget any of it. This is our time. This is our time. Thank you, one person that's with me, to step in to that supernatural call, not to build your kingdom or my kingdom, but to be captivated by God's kingdom. And so we're talking about this theme of on earth as it is in heaven, right? on earth as it is in heaven, and I think it's really essential for us to just renew our perspective around the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is one of the most robust, complex theological elements within the Bible, but it's so important for us to be deeply rooted in kingdom values, right? And so when you think about healthy church culture, a lot of times we think about church structures or organizational structures or governmental structures or financial structures or staffing structures or music style or preaching style. And all of that has its place. But when you really talk about the DNA of a healthy church, the deepest part of who we are must be kingdom people. 
We must be people rooted in the revelation of the kingdom that has already begun to spread across the earth in our time. And so today, I just want to talk a little bit about this idea of the kingdom. What does it mean to live on earth as it is in heaven to contend for that, to believe for that? And I want to just spend a few minutes reflecting on a few things, and they all start with S because I'm a preacher and it is what it is. I want to talk about the secret of the kingdom. I want to talk about the structure of the kingdom and the spreading of the kingdom. So first, the secret, right? Paul begins this section of Philippians 2 in verses 1 and 2. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, your alarm should go off. In Christ. In Christ, right? One of the most important phrases in the New Testament. Any comfort and love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, if you've ever been with more than two people in a room, you know that having the same mind is basically impossible, right? It's impossible. We can't be of one accord. We can, this is an absolutely unrealistic command, isn't it? I mean, it gets more unrealistic in a minute, but let's just start with this one, right? We're about to get to count others more significant than yourself, right? All of this is impossible without a miracle, without the secret of the kingdom. How in the world could you and I be of one mind? We have two different backgrounds. We came from two different cultures. Maybe we're different races. Maybe we're different ages. Maybe we're different economic structures. How in the world could we ever come together? It's helpless unless you believe in a miracle. And that miracle, Jesus called the new birth. Paul called it the new self. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah all spoke about this great mystery, this supernatural change, the new heart. And friends, it is the secret of the kingdom. Unless a man is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, our entire operation is based on a conviction that this can actually happen, that hearts can be made new in an instant by the power of the Spirit, that this is either the greatest hope of the whole world or we need to all get different jobs because it is a radical waste of time for us to ever try to accomplish the spreading of the gospel, right? We have to be deeply convicted that the secret of the kingdom truly changes lives, that the new birth is true, that it's available. And I think that a lot of times, especially in New England, we slug it out and we see small results and we forget that we have a miracle in our back pocket, that God can change a heart in an instant, that I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in my mom's life, I've seen it in my family's life, and I've seen it in thousands of other lives. And if you start to preach it, if you start to declare it, if you start to believe it, it starts to spread. Right? Do your research. What started the Great Awakening in this part of the country? But the preaching of the new birth. The preaching of the new birth, right? And so Christians, we need to see the new birth as a radical third way. Right? A radical third way. Our culture says that I'm going to design my own salvation. Right? I'm going to build my own little utopian uh, beneficial reality. Right? Where I can just collect all my toys and find all my pleasures. And when you design your own salvation, it ends in emptiness. It ends in a radical sense of emptiness on the inside, right? But the Christians, were, some of us are designing our own salvation. The rest of us are trying to earn our own salvation, right? Where we're saying, well, if I'm just good enough, if I just do enough, if I just love enough, if I just pray enough, and when we try to earn our own salvation, if we succeed, we become self-righteous, and if we fail, we become self-loathing, but it doesn't change anybody. And so we don't earn our own salvation. We don't design our own salvation. That is the key to the entire Christian faith, the declaration that I cannot save myself, and yet God, in his great and radical love, 
for me, sent his son to be my representative who died as my substitute, who rose from the dead, that the new kingdom might have already broken in to the earth upon his resurrection and still spreads today. And through belief in this truth, God performs surgery in the heart and like yeast, the kingdom of God spreads from the inside out. Right? From the inside out. And so I'm transformed inwardly through this divine, miraculous partnership called sanctification where I actually become more like God through the work of His Spirit in me for it's God who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure, right? And so if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, then what results? New taste buds result. Are you preaching the new birth? I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He said the work of the Spirit of God in regeneration is often in Scripture compared to the giving of a new sense, giving eyes to see, ears to hear. We cannot be cool enough or smart enough or compelling enough or wealthy enough or attractive enough or anything enough to reach New England. But the new birth can. The new birth can reach New England. Regeneration can reach New England. An awakened heart can reach New England. A transformed soul can reach New England. Someone who experiences the grace of God and radically reorients their life around his love for them. Not I obey in order to be accepted, but I am radically accepted and therefore I obey. And when that truth gets in my soul, when the truth of the good news of God's grace gets in me, now I've got something that can change the Northeast in Jesus' name. The secret of the kingdom. And so here's what I would ask is um, for all of us, all of us preachers, for all of us kids workers, for all of us worship leaders, is this the center of how you plan your set list? Is this the center of how you preach your sermons? Is this the center of how you do ministry? Are you deeply driven by this great secret? Because here's what I know. If we build our ministries on good systems or compelling communication, it will never change a region. But if we believe and build on the secret of the kingdom, we've got a real shot. So if you want to understand the kingdom, we have to understand it's inside out. We have to understand that the whole game is based on the fact that a heart can change in an instant through the power of the Spirit. To believe that there is a God who awakens souls and transforms lives, and He can change the deepest part of us in a secret, mysterious, supernatural, undeserved way. And in doing so, he can change the world. And here's been my conviction. If he can do it for one, why not five? And if he can do it for five, why not ten? And if he can do it for ten, why not your city? And if he can do it for your city, why not the 14 million people in the Northeast? And if he can do it for them, why not the world? I'll bet my life on that. But I think some of us have lost that. I think we've lost it. That's the secret of the kingdom. So the kingdom, it's, it's inside out, but it's, it's also upside down, right? It's upside down. And so Paul references this, and uh, he talks about this interchange, and then he describes the structure. And so, okay, if I'm going to be a person that's based in the kingdom of God, whatever music style you play, whatever culture you come from, I've got to have that deep conviction of the inside-out power of the gospel, the secret of the kingdom, right? But then after that, I've got to understand the structure of the kingdom. I think this is where a lot of times kingdom preaching gets wonky, right? Because we're like, I'm kingdom, you know, and it's just like, it's all about dominion, and I'm all about dominion, but, but I think that the structure of the kingdom is a little counterintuitive, right? Because here Paul says, do nothing from ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that might be the most challenging verse in the Bible, if I'm honest. 
you know, count others more significant. Now, he's not saying count others better, right? It's like if you're a neurosurgeon, you don't have to walk around and being like, hey, my four-year-old son is a better surgeon than me. It's like, no, no, he's not, right? Like, that's not the essence of what his command is saying. What is he saying? He's saying regard every person, every person, whether they're old or young, whether they're black or white, whether they're male or female, regard every person as someone worthy of being served by you. That's what he's saying. And um, this is the essence of the kingdom. And so this is so counterintuitive and so difficult for us. And so how in the world do we do it? You know, I think we would all say amen. I want to count others more significant than myself. But I don't know about you. It's been a pretty significant struggle for me. And so how do we do it? And Paul gives us the answer here. He says, if you want to live the structure of the kingdom, you've got to spend a lot of time looking at Jesus. Right? That's what he says here. He goes, have this mind in you that is in Christ Jesus. He says, you've got to spend a little more time looking at Jesus. Spend some time looking at him. He is equal to God, but he didn't grasp. Now, that caught my attention as I meditated on the text for tonight because he didn't grasp. He didn't grasp. I noticed in myself that I actually end up often doing the opposite, right? I'm not equal to God, but I do grasp, right? And so it's like I'm trying to grasp, and yet Jesus didn't grasp. And then he emptied himself, and he made himself Nothing, and that's exactly the opposite of what I tend to do in that we puff ourselves trying to make ourselves something, right? And so Jesus did it the opposite of what we expect, and then it said he took the lowest place, even the place of a cross, and God gave him the name that's above every name. And so we try to take the highest place, right, and we end up nameless, not knowing who we are, not knowing how we're supposed to live in this life, always looking for the affirmation of another person because we don't really know our names. And so Jesus was so much more significant than me, and yet somehow he treated me as more significant than him by dying on a cross. And so Paul says, You gotta think about this, you gotta meditate on it, you gotta like look at it and go, What? Ah, stare at it, reflect upon it, consider it. You know, throughout history, uh, the, uh, the, the, the self-portrait has been the most challenging attempt of the artist, right? To draw a picture or paint a uh, picture of themselves. Vincent Van Gogh, 36 self-portraits. Rembrandt, 100 self-portraits. Da Vinci, Picasso, they've all done self-portraits. It's the ultimate statement of identity, right? And so the challenge of any self-portrait is to capture the complexity of a personality in a single image. And so when God chose to paint a self-portrait to sum up the complexity of his character. Do you have that photo? Just look at it. Just look at it. When God, if this hasn't messed up your life, then you don't understand the kingdom. When God, if you've forgotten this, if you've wandered from it, when God decided to give us a self-portrait of his heart, his nature, his will. He said, just look. Just look at it with me. Would you just take a minute? I think the Holy Spirit's going to meet you right here. Oh, maybe we got this thing all wrong. See, what happens inside us when we start to see the structure of the kingdom, it just it just undermines our pride. It flattens us. It makes us small. It disarms our arrogance. 
That's the self-portrait. Theologian Gordon Fee said it like this. He said, in the cross, God's true character, his outlandish, lavish expression of love was fully manifested. You know what this does? It turns everything upside down. That's what it does. Leaders serve. The first or last. The poor are rich. It turns everything upside down. Now power and authority is not about me and mine. It is not about grasping. It is about leveraging for others. It has to be because of the self-portrait of God. And so we start to catch the heart of the kingdom, right? That it's inside out. He can transform us. That's the secret. That it's upside down. That's the structure. And until this gets deep in us, changes us, transforms us, awakens us, we're never going to see the spreading of the kingdom because what we'd be, we'd be spreading is our thing, not his thing. But if we can get it in us, get it down in our bones, think about it, consider it, reflect it, allow it to get inside of us, then it starts to ooze out of us and we find a capacity to treat others as more significant than ourselves. So this is the secret of the kingdom, and this is the structure of the kingdom. But then he starts talking about the spreading of this kingdom, how it spreads. And this is so important. Verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst. I like that phrase. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Boy, did you write this yesterday, Paul, right? Among whom we shine as lights in the world. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is so important as we think about how Christians are supposed to act in culture, right? In the midst. Notice that he didn't say in the corners, right? He didn't say retreat into your awkward little subculture, right? And sing only your Christian songs and talk about only Christian things and meet with only Christian people and insulate yourself from the entire world and have a Christian family with Christian music and Christian entertainment and Christian t-shirts and Christian bubble gum and drive a Christian car and, you know, Retreat, 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 right? That is not the heart of the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't do that. The kingdom doesn't retreat because there's people all around us who are far from God and somebody's got to go live in the midst, right? Somebody has to go live in the midst. And so if I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus, I got a problem, right? And so this is a, this is a significant spreading issue. Sometimes it doesn't spread because the Christians become Christians and then we just insulate in this little awkward Christian bubble thing that we have and we forgot that the entire kingdom operates in the midst. It operates in the midst, but the other side isn't true either. We're not supposed to copy culture. We're not supposed to assimilate either. Don't adopt the practices. Don't change your theology. Don't wander from orthodoxy. So rather than retreat or assimilation, Paul says you're supposed to shine as lights. Shine as lights. And I love this. This is, this is a, a, a metaphor that finds its way all through the New Testament. I love how John brings some clarity to it in 1 John 2. He says this, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Do you notice the overlap there? He says the darkness is passing. What's he describing? He's describing dawn. That's what he's describing. The break of dawn. We've all seen a sunrise at some point in our lives, right? The break of dawn when it's still kind of dark, but it's still beginning to be light. And, and what we have to understand is that we are living right now in that moment, right? We are living at the break of dawn. And so one age is passing away and one age is stepping in. That according to the New Testament, upon the resurrection of Jesus, the new age began, right? He was the first fruits of a new creation. And so the new creation, the resurrection from the dead has already begun. It's already broken. And it didn't just break in through Christ. It broke in through the new birth. 
And so now Christ in me is the age to come alive inside of me. The problem is we're still living in a broken world, right? And so this means that I have resurrection eternal life pulsating inside of me, and yet I'm living in the body of Adam in a broken, messed up, jacked up world. And so this overlap is so important to understand. You probably heard the analogy, right? It was D-Day to V-E Day, and 11 months went by in World War II, and more people died in that section of the war than any other time, and yet the war was over on D-Day, but didn't end till V-E Day. And so this overlap caused this time of already and not yet. And so if we're going to understand the kingdom, we have to understand that the secret of the kingdom is inside out, that the structure of the kingdom is upside down, but that the spreading of the kingdom is forward back, that it's happening. And yet at the same time, there is sorrow and brokenness and challenge and struggle. We can pray for miracles and see the sick healed. And yet at the same time, not all are healed or saved, right? And so this tension is real. And if Christians don't understand it, if we don't grasp it, we end up coming to God with unrealistic expectations, right? We end up coming to God and we're surprised by our trials. When Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, Peter said, don't be surprised by trials. And somehow we cut those verses right out of our Bibles and we're like, I can't believe that person died. I can't believe he didn't come through. I can't believe the marriage fell apart. As if the trials weren't going to come. Friend, we're not going to build a utopian society here in our age. We're not going to, and yet we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And because we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation in a broken time, in the overlap of ages, you can actually see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven if you carry the heart of the kingdom, which is upside down, inside out, and forward back. And with that frame, it creates a culture that can change a heart and a family, and a city, and the world. The bank can come. We're going to sing in just a moment, and uh, I ask you just to stand to your feet. I want to just ask you tonight, upon reflection, is it possible that you have wandered from this kingdom? I know I have many times. Is it possible that the frame I just outlined has not been the frame that you've been looking through? Is it possible that you've been trusting in systems and programs and catchy phrases, not the secret of the new birth? Is it possible that you've had a top-down structure rather than an upside-down structure? Or you rule with an iron fist, or you don't have an attitude that is quick to serve? Is it possible that you've surrounded yourself in a little Christian bubble and forgotten that you are called to live in the midst. I just want to pray that God would disrupt us and disturb us right now. You may have heard this before. Um, I've gone back to it for probably about 15 years now. It's a poem written in the 1500s, and I just want to read it. And I, I want to invite you to close your eyes. And as I read it, I believe in impartation. I believe that the Spirit of God can come upon you. That He can change us supernaturally through impartation. And as I pray this, as I read this, I believe the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
and a fire that has been dim is going to grow. And a faith that has been small is going to expand. Discouragement is going to melt. Confidence is going to take root. And hope is going to fill your heart in ways that it hasn't been filled in a long time. So disturb us, Lord are too well pleased with ourselves when our dreams come true because we have dreamed too little when we arrive safely because we sail too close to the shore disturb us Lord. when with the abundance of things we possess we have lost our thirst for the waters of life having fallen in love with life we have ceased to dream of eternity and in our efforts to build a new earth we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future and strengthen so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at Converge love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.